0: Amen. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, team. Good morning, Grace Point. Good to see you guys. I'm excited to be here. You know why? More than anything else, I get to wear this sport coat. The reason I say is I think it illustrates where we're at today right now in a very funny way. On March 13th, um, my wife and I had set to go away for our 21st wedding anniversary. Um, that day, we got word that the schools were letting out for two weeks. Um, so we thought, well, do we go away? Do we not go away? How serious is this thing coming? We were wrestling with it. We're putting the plan together for the factory. We said, ah, let's, let's do it. Let's make it happen. So we head away, uh, went down to Baltimore. Um, in that region, went to Ikea, did some shopping for the new home that we bought just two weeks earlier and were settling into and having a good time. Then I went out and said, you know, we got this thing coming called a banquet for the factory and I need a new sport coat. So we went out and bought it and it's hung in my closet ever since. I share that to say, not just that I'm putting this on, but I don't think any of us thought we would still be in this position Back in March. Um, In my mind, I'm thinking, ah, we'll have our banquet in May, no problem. We'll be back to normal. Well, the kids will be back in school. Uh, Let's go ahead and buy a sport coat, planning for the future. Uh, So here I am for the first time wearing it in a service with masks and tables and distanced and people watching online. Um, So we're in a different day and age. Um, I want to say a big thank you to you guys uh, for the day and age that we're in and the impact that you guys have made at the factory. I don't, I cannot underscore enough the impact that Grace Point has had, Uh, specifically the relationship that has been developed in the community. You guys constantly say we're a presence in the town square. On March 13th, when the schools closed, I took a phone call from Kathy Koenig, the the head of student services at Peckway Valley. Um, She said to me, hey, can we shift the school lunches to your property? Uh, Right away, I'm like, Yes. Now, the relationship that we have with Pecway is a, is a result of the work that's been done at the factory and the result of your pastor, Tim Rogers, and many of you who have built those relationships in the community. It's a trusted relationship. It's a collaborative relationship. It's a cooperative relationship. Uh, so they shift and bring the food over. And our commitment at the factory at the time was like we are going to be more accessible than ever. I mean, that's our commitment. Now what I want to share, and some of you have seen what we've done, you've heard, you've getting emails, uh, etc., maybe following us online. The thing that has, um, I want to share kind of from behind the scenes, other organizations like us. Um, there's one just to the north of us, CrossNet. We love to death. We love partnering with them. Meredith Dahl is a phenomenal leader, one of the best leaders I personally have ever met and interacted with. They do a phenomenal work, a phenomenal ministry, very similar to us in scope and nature and size and what they do. Um, they did not see an uptick that we did, like we did, of participants coming for food. We saw 200 right out of the first two weeks, uptick. Now, as I began to step back and I began to realize real life up in Denver, same scenario, and I began to ask the question, well, why? Why did we see this massive uptick and these others did not? Matter of fact, we've seen such a strong uptick that those other organizations have shifted back to bringing their participants internal to do the shopping in their in their um, stores in our markets. We're not able to do that yet because our, our part, the numbers are so high. It's not about red, yellow, green. It's about our numbers are just too high to get everyone in through in the way that we have done it in the past talking with those other organizations it's the partnership with the school when those lunches came to our property we engaged people in free and reduced lunches that are making 55 60,000 and you can be in free and reduced lunch depending on your family size that's a that's a segment of our population that suffered deeply through covid yet don't often access services at the factory, even know how to. They're walking onto our property, we're able to say to them, hey, we have food, here's other services we can provide, and they immediately jumped on board. Those other organizations didn't have that opportunity. So I share all that to say a big, big thank you to you guys. Uh, Tim isn't here, I said, I've said i said this to him many a times, the relationship that was started years back with the school district that you guys have fostered, that you they trust, there's a, a strong relationship there, that they're able to say, hey, we'll bring our lunch is right over. Because of that, we were able to care for this community in a way um, that is is just phenomenal. So I cannot say thank you enough. So I know that took five minutes of my time, but I thought it's worth it because I really wanted you guys to hear that, feel that, know that. And um, just a big, big thank you. With that said, turn with me, if you will, into Titus chapter three. If you have your Bible, grab your smartphone. If you don't, um, find it there. Titus, if you're brand new to the Bible, uh, welcome. Um, I know many viewing online as well. Uh, Titus chapter 3. Uh, Titus is near the very, you can see it in mine, it's near the very back, all this stuff in front of it. Uh, Titus is written, it's, it's, a, it's an individual's name, Titus, and some of you might know a Titus. Um, it, it's an individual's name, it's written by a guy by the name of Paul. Uh, Paul was a guy who uh, started out with his name, Saul, and it was his mission to destroy anything and everything associated with the person of Jesus Christ. These churches were springing up. um, And and then we weren't church like we think of church. They were these called out groups of people that are forming all in in and around Jerusalem. And Paul set out to say, or Saul set out to say, I'm going to destroy everything associated with this Nazarene sect is what it was called because Jesus was from Nazareth. It wasn't even called Christ followers, Christians. It was this Nazarene sect. It was this, this derogatory um, racist term that's like, we don't, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. So they, he, he sets out on a mission to destroy, but then something happens. And some of you know the story, right? Suddenly he meets Jesus himself in this vision and he becomes a Christ follower. And then he makes it his mission to plant and start these, these Christian groups and churches all over the known world, all around what today would be the Middle East and around the Mediterranean. Um, so he's writing here, uh, now as a Christ follower, Titus is at the very end of his life. This this letter is written, um, it's believed that he's in jail, he's under house arrest in Rome, he's not far from uh, tradition believes he had his head taken off towards the end. Other scholars will say, again, the scriptures don't tell us, but he's near the end of his life. He's writing back, and he writes three letters. You'll see 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Um, Tim, Timothy and Titus were young pastors. Uh, Titus is in Crete. It's an island out in the Mediterranean it's, it's a barbaric group. It's a, it's a difficult area. And he's writing to Titus to say, Titus, this is what I want you to know about being a pastor. I've given my life to this. I've poured my life out for this. And I want to see this thing called the church move forward. Now, here we sit 2,000 plus years later, the church has moved forward. So I think the message got across to young Titus and other leaders like him that would have begun to absorb this letter into the first, second, third centuries, and as, it, as time moved on. So in a lot of ways, this, this book is, is this letter, you should say, as it's picked up, it's really written to a guy like Greg or Kevin, who's here in the room, or your pastor Tim, or, or leaders, But I think there's a message in it for all of us. And I want to look at chapter three. Um, Martin Luther, who started the Reformation, any fan of church history would uh, know his name, um, 500 years ago, nailed a thing to the door. Uh, He said if he could take just one page out of the Bible to keep him encouraged... Just rip one page out and get rid of the rest. It would be Titus chapter three, uh, and I think you understand why as you kind of push through this. I think it's it's incredibly, incredibly important for today. Um, today, what it really gives us is how to engage the world around us, how to engage others when the stakes are high, and offense is extremely likely. I mean, you walk in anywhere right now. But I will hold this up right now. And if I would begin to talk about it, I guarantee we're going to have a lively conversation in this online, in your living rooms. Guaranteed. You guys are having a lively conversation. The stakes are high now, and offense is unreal. And I think this chapter gives us the heart of how do we navigate into this space as Christ followers, as Christians, as the church. So it starts out, verse 1 of chapter 3. Remind the pe- I'm reading out the um, NIV, that is what the translation you guys use, correct? Cool. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and show true humility toward all men. Right out of the gates, remind the people to be subject to Donald Trump, Tom Wolf. Lloyd Smucker. And I can keep the names going. Now, what's so stark when you read this, when Paul is talking, he has in mind leaders of the Roman world that weren't, that were a far cry from what we have as our governor in Pennsylvania. The leaders in this day and age were, were grabbing Christians carring them, putting them on stakes, sticking them in their gardens and lighting them on fire as human torches to illuminate their gardens. It was a brutal, brutal world. If any of you saw the miniseries, A.D. The Bible Continues, it's you can since we're probably running out of shows to stream on Netflix and everywhere else right now, um, you can jump on and grab it and watch it. It came out in 2017. It's it's kind of playing out of the of the book of Acts after Jesus. um, and, And you capture capture a picture of how brutal this world was. And Paul is writing. He's saying, listen, these aren't great, upstanding citizens, but I want you to be subject to them. Now, what I find so fascinating about this, I think at the very heart of this is the gospel message. When you think about what it means to be a Christian, when Jesus left the earth and he spoke to his disciples, he said, therefore, go into all the world and make some of you know the verse. What does it say? Make disciples. He never says make Christians. A lot of times Christianity, we have this thought that it's a it's a set of beliefs that I hold to, philosophical worldviews that I grab hold of, a book that I study. But Jesus didn't say that's all very important. But what Jesus said is go and make disciples. So what is a disciple? And the essence of the word means I'm a follower. At the very heart of the Christian faith is following, is submission. The very heart of a Christ follower is is this heart of subject, I'm going to put myself under the authority of another and follow. So when I am standing around as a Christ follower and raising my fist to the government and saying to them, I will not give up my rights, what it really does is it casts a picture of Christianity that is very ugly to the world and isn't even accurate. I would say all the time, I would say regularly, if you don't engage the scriptures and the person of Jesus Christ and find yourself at times radically challenged to shift your thinking, to change your behavior, you may not be following Jesus Christ. To follow means I'm going to rub up against things at times that don't line up with my life. I don't like, I don't agree with, and I need to adjust course. If you go back just one chapter in chapter two, one chapter in chapter two, Paul writes to, the, 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 to men and women, and he says to the older women, I want you to teach the younger women to stay at home. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state this. And then I'm going to leave and let Tim and Greg deal with, what did he just say? It's in the scriptures. Go read it. Um, I've got how I would, if I were teaching this, I would spend a whole, so I know I'm not doing this service, but it says, teach the younger women to stay busy at home. Now, there's a lot (laughs) packed into that. And then it says, teach them to be subject to their husbands so that, and he gives reason for it, the word of God is not maligned. I think we have the same concept that works itself into this. Be subject to your leaders. Submission is at the heart of what it means to be a Christ follower. So can I say, can I hold this up, and be a little controversial? Put the dang mask on. I read a post last night from a friend and I'm like, I've wanted so badly. I, I didn't post because it's, I'm so tired of the wars we see on social media, but I do plan to call them. And say, listen, you love Jesus. You're very bold about it. That post that you're posting is not reflective of the heart of Christ. Even if we disagree, we don't like it. It's not a gospel issue in the sense of we aren't being asked to do something that violates scripture. Paul would say, be subject to your leader. Now, enough from that controversial subject. I'll step in and look at the rest of that passage. (laughs) doesn't mean you need to agree. Can I just say that? It doesn't mean you need to agree. It doesn't mean you need to say, yes, I'm totally with this whole thing. It just means you're honoring your leaders in a way that you can. Now, look at the next. Um, look, at, look at the. So verse two ended. Be show true, true humility toward all men. True humility toward all men. Now, verse 3, here's how and why true humility should flow from the Christian heart. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and what's the word that's used there? Enslaved. There's another, I mean, this passage is perfect for the day and age we live. Black Lives Matter. Slavery. We kind of right now are all kind of cast into this conversation talking about our 400 years' history as a nation and slavery. We kind of all have this taste in our mouth and our minds, and we kind of have this understanding right now of what slavery is. Here, Paul uses it in reference to us. At one time, we too, past tense, were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, there's this transition, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. That is the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. You were a slave. If you're a follower of Jesus, you were a slave and you could do nothing to free yourself. You were morally and spiritually dead, is the way the scripture refers to it. A slave. What got you out of slavery? Did you get yourself out of slavery? Something happened to you. I theologically, and I'm not, I'm not here to advocate for this theological position. I think you can get to the place where I get to on the other side of this theological coin. But theologically, I believe in an unfree human will. We are not free. Now, the reason I think that's so important for me is because when I believe that we as humans are caught up in slavery and I can't free myself, when I'm interacting with another human being I don't judge them. I'm able to show what Paul says true. Look, look how verse 2 goes. Humility toward all men. Why? Because if I see you doing something really stupid and I'm like, that is so stupid. What are they doing? They're hurting themselves and everyone around them. Well, guess what? guess what? If I believe that you are a free human moral agent, I judge you because you made the choice. But if I believe that the f- we are not free, I look at you with compassion and understand there's something at play here that's far bigger than maybe you even understand. And I step towards you. I think that's why Paul shifts and says, show true humility towards all men and women Because, remember, we're slaves. Now, here's the thing. Some of you say, well, Adam, I'm now a believer in Jesus. Romans says, you're a good theologian. Romans says, I am now free. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to Jesus. You'll quote the passage. And I say, yes, same as the Black Lives Matter movement. Slavery leaves its marks. If you're all honest right now, there is something in your life you can't conquer. We made jokes last night. I had the factory, some of the factory staff over last night to watch fireworks in New Holland where we just moved. Um, the trees were there and uh, so we couldn't quite see, so we climbed up on our roof. It was kind of fun. Watched fireworks from our roof. Never, that was a fun experience. We got down and we're talking and interacting and somehow Candy Crush came up. I am on level 5,648. Something in that ballpark. I got a letter two years ago telling me I was in the top five hundred in the world. Two point some billion people play Candy Crush. They were recruiting me to come join the game show that they were starting and saying, listen, you're good. You're you're in the I mean you are in the cream of the crop Candy Crush players. Now, why did I get there? I'm a slave. I've I've taken the app off my phone at times. I'll come home and I'm tired and I'm worn out. Before long, I am on my device looking down, crushing candy. I am a slave. Slavery leaves its mark. Scars remain in the body. When you've been whipped across your back, the scars remain, they don't go away. And our bodies are not regenerated, made new yet. We carry the mark of that slavery and at times it pulls us away. So when Paul, I think, speaks and says, show true humility towards all men. Show true humility, what he's reminded of is, listen, they're either a slave in that they haven't yet received Jesus or they've already received Jesus and the mark of their slavery is still pulling them back. Even if we don't subconsciously really, when I sit down and play candy crush, do I really stop and think I am really stressed out right now and I'm really hurting and I'm now medicating that pain with candy crush. Is that what I'm thinking? No, I'm thinking I'm going to get to the next level. You're made free. And it's something that happened outside of you that set you free. Now, now here's the life of this passage. Here's the life of this passage. Verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying. Everything he just said, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable to everyone. Verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Then verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. So listen to what Paul says. How many of you right now in your life have something you would like to be doing better in? Right? I'd like to lose some weight. I'm working on it. I'm working hard. I'm a slave to ice cream. I love ice cream. I just, I don't know why I can't. I drive. It's anyway, I'll, I digress. I got a clock ticking. I can't tell those stories. I love ice cream. When we have something good that we want to do, often what we do is establish laws to make it happen. A diet is a law. That's how we go about becoming Good. I want to stop cussing, maybe you say. I want to stop looking at images on a screen that I shouldn't be looking at. I want to stop consuming that liquid that's that's wrecking my life and my families. I want to, and we create laws. Look at what Paul says. He's saying to a pastor, when you stand up and preach... Stress these things. What are these things? You're a slave. Someone outside of you set you free. It is his righteousness that makes you righteous and justified. And when you stress those things, that is how people do good works. That is how they conquer the sin. That is how they are set free from the slavery. It's amazing. I guarantee you where law increases, sin increases. Romans chapter 7 makes that very, very clear. The only way to conquer it is the grace and mercy that's bestowed upon us in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we, uh, that's why I say all the time, our job is, when I was a pastor for nine years, my job was daily to stand up and not preach and go deeper in something new. It was to constantly come back to the gospel message of Jesus Christ in a fresh and a new way to take people deeper in it, to confront the idols of their heart more and more, to bring people in to say, you got to die to self, be with Jesus, see him, embrace him and love him. And in that you are set free from all that you're in bondage to. That's when good works will happen. That's when the poor will be served. That's when these things begin to sprout. And that's how we avoid silly, foolish controversies and get in all these lost arguments. Let me end with an example. Um, a few weeks ago, I was talking with an individual, a friend of mine. Um, we were talking about Black Lives Matter. He does not believe in r- white privilege. He, he's, this is a white man. He told me very clearly, it's a bunch of garbage. He shared why. He had his opinion. I I think I lived in inner city Charlotte, and I saw the ugliness of the South for all it's worth, and I came away from Charlotte a very changed man in this issue. So I disagree with him. Now, how do I engage him in a way? He's a fellow believer in Jesus. We both see things differently. What I did is I decided to be with him. I said, well, tell me about that. Why do you think that? He told me his story of living in inner city Philadelphia. He told me a story of him being a minority. He told me his story of what he saw and what he experienced. He told me how he believes it's not about uh, slavery, but it's about culture and it's about um, fatherlessness and it's about all these things. Now, what I my concern is he was brushing this broad brushstroke across black lives. And I'm like, well, not all black people are fatherless. And by you taking that. But I sat and I listened. But then something dawned on me. Read it this week. John chapter four. This is what I close with. John chapter four, Jesus confronts racism head on by being with a Samaritan woman, a Jewish man with a Samaritan woman. His disciples are off at town getting food. When they come back, their racist minds are exposed. They're like, what on earth is he doing with her? What on earth? What's so fascinating to me is Jesus never confronts the racism. I never see him do it in all his, all his disciples are racist. There's no two fans or butts about it. He doesn't confront it. He, instead he engages the woman with love. He allows them to experience and watch what he is doing with her. And then when she goes away to bring people back, he simply looks at them. And I believe he does what Titus three says. He says, listen, This world, it is the fields are ripe for harvest. Open your eyes and see the world around you. He doesn't confront racism. Instead, he engages them with follow me and let's make disciples. He keeps the main thing, the main thing. And I think in time, their racist attitude is scrubbed out, but he doesn't confront it head on. He sits with them and he brings them back to who he is and the gospel message that he's come to set people free. That's my heart for this morning. I'm closing prayer. My heart for you is that you this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus, you would encounter him more fully and more deeply and make that the passion of your life. And if you're not, maybe you're in line this morning, reach out to a friend one of the pastors here, a leader here and say, Hey, tell me about this person, Jesus, and what it really means to be a Christian. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Thank you for this church. Would you bless this church? Bless Tim, Greg, Kevin, and all the leaders here. God, as they step into this community and that they've made such an impact and such a difference. And I am in so, so grateful for this church and the impact that they're making. I pray more than anything, I know Tim's heart is to consistently bring the gospel to bear in all of life. And God, thank you for that. Encourage Tim in that. That's a hard battle. We as humans naturally pull back to law, naturally pull back to establishing rules, naturally pulling back to I'm a free person that can make the choices I want. We forget so easy we're trapped, we're enslaved, and we're lost without you. God, draw us deeper into that reality. Marinate us in that so that we can be sweet people that show true humility towards all men and all women and walk with grace and compassion, saying, listen, I know what it was like to be a slave. The scars are still in my body. I still feel drawn away. Can I just offer you a drink of living water that I've found at the well? God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray.